I see a lot of potentials in NFTs, to be honest. Not, not just the PFP ones or the, the expensive ones, but I, I'm a big fan of these POAPs, of these proof of attendance tokens. Mm. I think they will replace the certificates uh, in the future. So if you are a volunteer for a Paralympics, I think in, in the future you will get an NFT to show off that you actually helped uh, for free. So, so I think these priceless NFTs might be very interesting or putting patents into NFTs. Uh, I, I think most people just don't get the breadth of the usage of, of NFTs. And I think this could be an area where also Zuku can, can help make something happen. My name is Sosal and I'm here today with Stefan Grasmann. And Stefan, my first question would be, what's your catchphrase? I really like to start with the why. So I'm a big fan of Simon Zinek mm. and he's all about the why, the purpose in life. And I think yeah, that's, that's very, very important to me. Mm. Have you found your own why at the moment? Yeah, that's difficult. I like to, I like to work with people. Mm. Uh, and I like to see them happy at work and have a meaning in their, in their work. So uh, that's one of my main tasks here at Zupe. Uh So I think that's, I found, I found my, my why. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in this podcast, we will talk about uh, your journey and maybe how you found it. Uh, maybe let's start with your childhood. Could you explain how was your life as a child? Well, I was very much in nature as a child uh, and I my life was all about sports because mm. both of my parents have been swimming teachers so part-time swimming teachers my dad was a real teacher at school but but our whole life was centered around swimming mm. uh, and so I, I had my first competition with when I was five or something like that and I'm still a lot in the water up to now so that was uh, the main main driver Hi guys, if you like the episodes, don't forget to like, subscribe and share it with your friends. And uh, then when I was 16 around, my dad bought my first computer, an Amiga at the time. And that got me into, into computers and stuff. And I again used it for the swimming competitions because my mother was, 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 was typing the results of the competitions always and it took hours. And so I used the Amiga to automate the whole stuff and make her life a bit easier. That's how I got into programming in the first place. Super interesting. Where you have been raised in a small city or a big city? Yeah, I come from Aschaffenburg. Mm. That's near Frankfurt, about 65,000 inhabitants. So mid-size and I'm still living around there. So I really like this uh, being close to a big city like Frankfurt. But again, being a bit uh, outside and have some silence if I want to. <laughs> Super interesting. You already mentioned that you got your first computer really early. Uh, what was maybe, the f or how was the first moment you experienced a computer? Was there a wow moment or was it just a solution for a problem? Well, the Amiga at the time was all about graphics. So mm -hmm. it was one of the first computers where you could really render ray tracers and stuff like that. So I remember a Perpetuum Mobile where you could, uh, and it was rendered, I think, for 24 hours or something like that. So you, you kicked off a task and then after 24 hours you had this 
this nice little video <laughs> with all the reflections and stuff like that. So this really got me into, into, into graphics and programming and Amiga basic at the time. Uh, and I, I could feel, okay, this is something very, very interesting uh, because otherwise I, I think I wouldn't have studied computer science in the end. So it was maybe a little accident or, mm. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, before we move maybe on to your study, um, how was school for you? Did you like it? I don't know. Uh, I, I was very focused on my sports stuff. Mm. Um, maybe at the time I was a bit introvert. Nobody believes me now because I'm on stage and etc. But but I was introvert at the time, and I liked and I liked it. I uh, had a lot of focus on math and languages. So mm. I learned three languages: Latin, English, and and French at the time. So. And the combination of English and math mathematics, I thought, okay, then maybe computer science is the natural <laughs> way to go. But it was also very interesting in, in, in nature at the time. So my parents would have bet that I would study biology or something like that because I knew every every bird and, and, and plant. But yeah, I'm, you see, I'm interested very in a very diverse fashion, I think. Yeah. Mm, super interesting. And now maybe uh, coming to your study. So you studied computer science. Was it an easy decision or were there other opportunities? I, th I didn't think too much about mm. it, to be honest. But when I started, so at the time I, I studied in, uh, at the University of Darmstadt and uh, they had the tactics to, to kick out three quarters of the people after, after the first two, uh, four semesters. So it was really hard to get through. It was easy to get in, but it was hard to go, go through. And uh, I met fantastic people in the first week there. One of my best friends from Austria, uh, we, we met each other at the first day at the university and we still uh, visit each other regularly. And yeah, he fascinated me because he was far ahead with his knowledge about the whole stuff. And we, yeah, we, built, we built up kind of a team and uh, made a very, very interesting way as a, as a team through the whole studies. Yeah, even even wrote uh, our diploma thesis together. So, so one, one diploma thesis for, for three people. And I had a lot of focus on software engineering and early learned that it's all a, a team sport, that you shouldn't be alone as a programmer, mm. but rather try to be successful as a team. Mm. Yeah. Super interesting. And were there some interesting internships or how was your experience with that? Yes, yes. We've been working for BASF, uh, creating a program to optimize fertilizers, uh, to, to, to really manage a whole farm and how much uh, fertilizer they need to buy from BASF and how mm. much uh, they actually produce with their own animals at the farm. So again, the combination of computer science and biology, maybe <laughs> nature. Uh, yeah, so it was very, very pragmatic, focused on um, not so much the theoretical side of things, but rather, yeah, creating value. Uh, I'm also a big fan of user experience to to create easy solutions that get that are easily understood by the users. So if I would be reborn, maybe I would become a user experience guy because mm. <laughs> I really like to to look outside in um, onto the stuff. Mm -hmm. And after you finished your study program, what was your first job and why did you take it? Oh, I, I had several options to be honest. Mm. Uh, 
at the time it was about around 95 there were good times you could you could choose but i wanted to start in a small company and it was uh, a company which created software to create editorial systems for newspapers at the time and i climbed the career ladder quite quickly it was about 20 people and I became the development lead uh, after just four or five years. Quite a journey. I hired people uh, early on, but then uh, we had to file for bankruptcy after the year 2000 uh, because everyone had uh, bought their, their software solutions and then nothing else was needed. So uh, the CEO said, okay, everything's fine. Uh, let's stop the business. This was an interesting moment for me. That's how I actually joined Duke at the more, at the time. It wasn't easy times. Two thousand one, mm. two thousand two. Yeah. After the after the whole collapse, um, that, at that time it was far more complicated to get a job. And for me, this meant a lot of traveling because Duke had just a headquarter here in Germany in in Eschborn, and we traveled all around Germany for interesting jobs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> And, and how do you see maybe the question 2002? Do you think it was necessary to, to have maybe only or only let the company survive or have a real business model? Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting because I uh, not only lost my job, I also lost some uh, valuable stocks because at the time I, uh, I was trying to invest in the new mm. market at the time. And I didn't bet on Google, but on Lycos Europe, which was a far better search engine at the time. <laughs> but they didn't make it, obviously. So it's it's like a deja vu when I now see crypto crashing or something like that. Uh, so so yeah. And and to be honest, I was one of those who then went out of this investment thing because yeah, I burned my fingers heavily at, at the time. I didn't have too much money and bet too much on one without understanding uh, the, the environment uh, properly so that made me very cautious regarding investments afterwards so uh, yeah I see some parallels to the crashes <laughs> seen since then yeah. perfect transition um, what was your first experience with cryptocurrencies when did you get into the space I learned about a startup from Berlin called Whisker in 27, summer 2017. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was an article in FAZ, I think. Uh, quite crazy. I wanted to invest in their ICO somehow, uh, but I didn't know what this was all about. Uh, actually, I've, I've written, my first Medium post is about adventures in cryptocurrency, so it's mm -hmm. all documented. I've been writing Ethereum with an I instead of an E. <laughs> really funny. And I, don't check that. <laughs> and that was one part of the thing. So I really needed to buy Ether to, to, mm. to get uh, these Whisker tokens. Uh, and this is a story of, of its own uh, because they, they actually made a product but still failed afterwards. But, but coincidentally, at the same time, I was going for a Bitcoin event in Berlin and heard uh, Dimitri de Jonge talk about Ocean Protocol at the time. Mm. And this was still the best talk about crypto I had since then. He, it just took him 10 or 15 minutes to really get me on fire and uh, talk about democratizing the data market. So it was at the, at the time it was all about how you can create more democratic ecosystems and keep your privacy with your data. Also Whisker was about that, presenting a lot of uh, products, retail products, and see how much time you spend watching a certain product in order to collect data which which was your data so you, you could uh, 
the idea was to, to, to earn money from selling your preference data to, to a wider audience. And I'm really, and Ocean Protocol is similar. So I'm really fascinated about how to use cryptocurrencies in these data use mm. cases and combine that with European values about, about keeping data private, uh, but still creating a great business case uh, that somehow got me into the space, down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, if you like the content, you'll find more podcast episodes with other blockchain experts on this channel. So if you like, just subscribe. Um, and if you speak about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and maybe you choose a, a third option, what's your opinion about those? Do you, do you like Bitcoin? What's your opinion about Bitcoin, for example? I'm an Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> Full-hearted Ethereum. No, I... I certainly held held Bitcoin when I when I grew into this space, uh, but again uh, we we now try to, to to do some business in this space, and we we also see a lot of skeptical people regarding the environment issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I really think that Ethereum is is superior in that regard. I'm very conscious about about our environment and sustainability issues, and I really get a problem that. The Bitcoiners don't want to move at all uh, from this proof of work thing. We, we will see how it plays out. There are big arguments, yeah. pro and con, but 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 I think it also harms the whole industry a bit that some people just say, okay, it's uh, I don't care, mm. I don't care too much, and I I do care. Um, and that's one part of the equation. And the other thing is that I always was interested in, in application. So what can I do on top of it? So Bitcoin as a money or store of value never was enough for me. I, uh, I wanted to do something with, with the whole stuff. I wanted to see interesting use cases, an interesting ecosystem thriving from that whole technology. And that's why I was early on driven into the Ethereum space and on the layer two uh, stuff on top of it now, nowadays. Mm -hmm. Me too. I don't, I'm really pro Ethereum as well for the same reasons. Um, but the argument with Bitcoin, how do you see? Okay, of course you can could use sustainable energy sources to for all the mining uh, process. That's the same argument as I don't like people uh, driving with their e-bikes because mm. you could just use the same energy for something more yeah. more, more useful. Uh, yeah, it's okay. It's diminishing the problem a bit, but. Uh, I think it's kind of a fake argument. Uh, I don't. I don't take it. Okay. No. And if you have to choose a third cryptocurrency, what would it be? Well, that's interesting. I own quite some different coins. <laughs> and I'm a fan of different different levels. Uh, oh, that's an interesting question. I'm a big fan of synthetics. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a derivatives yep. uh, market thing. It was first day on, I think it was very, very early on, on Optimism when they launched in February 2021 or something like that. So I, I think Synthetics is, is one of those protocols who really have a business case. That's what I, what, what I like about them. But there are many, many very interesting tokens. Mm -hmm. As I understood it, uh, or as I understand it, um, you moved into the space from your private life first, right? When did you make the decision to go with your professional life as well in the same space? <laughs> yeah, again, coincidences. So early 2018, so shortly after I mm. thought I understood a bit of the rabbit hole, uh, we were approached by a startup here from Bingen called Unibright, 
who asked us because they know something from our company here if we would be interested to invest in their ICO or to pre to pre-seed invest actually yeah. to make their ICO happen. And we got some some people here from from Zürich doing that, uh, giving some some private and some company money. And they actually made it in the last possible moment. So in April 2018, they collected 14 million euro, I think, with their, with their ICO before the whole ICO bubble crashed. Uh, and that gave them uh, enough money to also engage with us professionally. Uh, so we, we helped them create their Unipride framework, which again was a little bit too early at the time. So it's a uh, B2B integration framework where you can visually design intercompany processes and uh, make SAP systems talk talk to each other mm. from I know it really well. Uh, it's uh, yeah. part of Base Ledger, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Base Ledger is what, what, what <laughs> they made of it. Mm. Yeah, and so we got involved and, and worked for them for, I think, nearly, nearly two years. So mm. that was our first touch points. We, we helped them uh, create their architecture, generate smart contracts automatically for different blockchains. So that's how Tuka got in and where, where I got in. And then we said, okay, we, we are an innovation service provider. So we also always need to be ahead of the curve a bit. And we said, okay, let's, let's take this blockchain thing and yeah, make it, make it our topic. And so we created lots of round tables for, for several CTOs uh, around. And some years later, we listened to a podcast from uh, the CEO of, of Gizik Devrin when they when they talked about that they wanted to create a central bank digital currency, we got in touch, and that was the start of a, of a second interesting mm. project. We actually got involved some people into into their team to develop the CBDC, so uh, another interesting thing. And yeah, and from there <laughs> on, uh, it was a kind of a part time job for me. So maybe five or ten percent of my time, I. I then spent into the whole building up of, of our blockchain business. Mm -hmm. And if you speak about today, we are now end of 2022. What are your responsibilities in that space? Yeah, I am responsible for blockchain business here. And it's it's mainly about influ generating influence revenue from, from these topics. Uh, find interesting uh, projects, find interesting prospects, clients who are interested in the space. And this is actually very difficult uh, still, because if you take the blockchain space, uh, then we are interested in the B2B part of it. And we need to find clients who want to work together with a service provider. So uh, every bad news is also somewhat bad for us because our clients have to fight uh, to, to get these projects done. And Another interesting thing is that we are not so interested in just proof of concepts, but we really want to build meaningful solutions. So we really look for use cases where there's some kind of beef <laughs> added, <laughs> and it's not so easy to find that. And what we what we did in order to find the right people who really want to invest is uh, we, we funded our uh, blockchain circle uh, earlier this year, uh, where we want to bring together cross-industry people, expertise, people who really want to want to do something in the space. And I think we, we made good progress. So we have uh, some startups in there, some very big players like Bosch, Alstom, Condos Bank, so very different uh, industries. Evonik is in there, uh, Bosch is in there. Uh, 
So, so famous, famous names, brands, uh, and we discuss with them yeah, how they can approach to this technology and how can they leverage that for their very own use cases, which is very interesting, to be honest. Mm. Also to see the limitations and yeah, you, yeah. at first you get all the, the problems. <laughs> so why not? Uh, so you really need to look for for opportunities that actually need a blockchain. That's very important to myself. Uh, I don't want to push a technology just for the technology's sake. That's the wrong approach. You really need to have a true problem where the technology actually helps. If you don't need it, then it's just a waste of time. I completely agree. I think that it's really important that you have a problem and then you really think about what's the best solution. Yeah. And blockchain is one solution out of many. Uh, and in those situations, you should, you should probably choose blockchain blocks only in those. If you speak about secure market situation and of 2022, the market is down. I personally see three hot topics, NFTs, Metaverse, DeFi. How would you rank those? Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. I, I think Metaverse is very interesting, but very, very, very early. To be honest, we actually do some metaverse projects for, for banks in Switzerland and one of my colleagues from Switzerland is one of the gurus in there. So I, we really support each other a lot. But, but I think if you've been in Sandbox or Decentraland yourself, you see, okay, maybe not yet. Uh, maybe we still need some time, but I'm very, I'm, I'm following Decentraland for three years now. So I was very early on. And I'm really amazed by the perseverance of actually making that happen. Um, and I'm a big fan of the decentralized metaverses, not so much um, of the metas of this world, obviously. I see a lot of potentials in NFTs, to be honest. Not, not just the PFP ones or the, the expensive ones, but I, I'm a big fan of these POAPs, of these proof of attendance tokens, mm. I think. They will replace the certificates uh, in the future. So if you are a volunteer for a Paralympics, I think in, in the future you will get an NFT to show off that you actually helped uh, for free. So, so I think these priceless NFTs might be very interesting or putting patents into NFTs. Uh, I, I think most people just don't get the breadth of the usage of, of NFTs. And I think this could be an area where also Zuko can can help make something happen but but again on the DeFi side so i was there in in the DeFi summer 2020 i tried out everything really everything uh, so so i think there's enormous enormous potential i think the regulatory side is still interesting how mm. to get that done and we've seen a lot of scams and a lot of tokens that got devalued because they were farmed for free and the, i think the DeFi one thing didn't work out. DeFi 2.0 is also a bit shaky at the moment. Let's see. Maybe it's like with Microsoft, you need version 3. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm very interested in the DeFi space uh, because uh, I like that there hasn't been too many regulations that I am forbidden to try out something. I always said, why shouldn't I invest 100 euro into a DeFi protocol when I'm allowed to buy a jeans? So why shouldn't I be allowed to, to, to waste my money into a DeFi protocol, uh, I think this nobody can actually explain. So I, I understand when, when the broad audience needs to be protected, okay, but sometimes I think we we protect too much and don't let give enough space for experimentation. And I think that's what, what's actually happening at the moment. But at the same time, I think what we now saw with FTX, 
impossible. So we, we obviously need to, to go get for these fraudsters. But at the same time, we shouldn't regulate too harshly uh, and, and prohibit innovation. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, I think education is key. What would be your recommendation if somebody is not in the space at the moment and want to be in? I think my way was quite interesting to try out stuff, uh, mm. try out stuff with, uh, with small money, experimenting, getting a feeling for that stuff. You don't need too much money, I think, to get, to get in. Uh, people should search for the experience, not for the quick buck. Mm. Uh, And yeah, I think it's more complicated nowadays because the rabbit hole is not only deep, but also broad. So <laughs> you need to start sure. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and this is a maybe better question. So where should someone try to experiment? But, but again, I, I see a lot of benefits in uh, understanding the space from a user's perspective. I think many, many people uh, didn't try out too much. They just read about other people's experiments. And there I, I, see, I see a big advantage that I have this first-hand experience and I know what people are talking about and, and you, you have a feeling how it feels if you maybe send a transaction into the wrong direction <laughs> or it doesn't go through or participating in some NFT sale where your transaction is stuck. Or something. So I've, I've experienced a lot of crazy stuff and this actually helps me to to talk to people when they, when they are afraid of transaction costs varying or stuff, stuff like that, which is important to every business mm -hmm. use case. Yeah? And so I really would encourage people to try firsthand the, the space, not just sitting in classrooms or reading stuff, really, really sending, have, a, have some skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Trying out things and get yeah. your own experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you speak about experience, what was maybe your greatest obstacle to overcome and maybe your greatest success in your life? In that space, you mean? In that space or in your personal life? I, I think this is still a niche thing. Mm -hmm. And my, my common day job here at Turkey is managing director technology. So I'm responsible for, for, for every technology. And then I brought my private interest into my professional life. And yeah, everybody was watching me <laughs> carefully so what what is now happening with Stefan because usually I'm I'm switching technologies quite fast quite often because yeah I'm, I'm curious and nowadays I'm in that for five six years now and, and and everybody was wondering why is is he sticking to to that one and it's even for me hard hard to explain but at the same time Yeah, sometimes you, you look like the crazy guy who seems to understand a lot of stuff, but, but uh, you also have to prove that there's actual business uh, to be won in that space, which is very difficult. So for me, this is the biggest challenge at the moment, uh, to sit on a technology which still have, has to prove its relevancy, especially for our business. Uh, so it feels like being a startup founder in, in the company with split roles where I sometimes need to go for the broad thing and then I take some freedom and, and drive the crazy stuff and, and try to get the crazy stuff to the, to the mainstream. This is, this is the biggest challenge. Uh, and, and you, you, yeah, you, you lose a lot of times. You, you have crazy, great ideas, uh, but you need to have a lot of, a lot of courage and resilience 
to actually succeed. So it's not, not fun all the time, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like that, but yeah, <laughs> it's <yeah>. not. <laughs> and for your personal life, if you have to give your younger self maybe an advice, um, maybe where you're 16, 18, what would you have done maybe differently? I didn't pay too much attention to my economics classes when I was in school. Uh, I, I more and more see the, yeah, how important uh, the numbers are mm -hmm. actually in business. It's all centered around, around numbers. And I, I, I didn't get it at, uh, when I was in school, uh, how, how important that, that might be in my later life. But then again, you can you can learn it. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe taking the economic side of things a bit more seriously would be a good advice. <laughs> <laughs> it's important too. <laughs> uh, perfect. What's your outlook for 2023 regarding blockchain, VLT, DeFi? Oh, I think it will get more diverse. I think we will be all astonished. What's what's happening next year so I, I i once wrote a crystal ball i think in 2019 i made my bets and then everything happened two years or three years later than i expected but i'm excited about uh loyalty use cases like we see, we see from starbucks at the moment we and that's also a big lesson learned from our blockchain circle everyone who's successful in the b2b space they usually don't talk about the technology they call it digital collectibles, not NFTs. Uh, they, they, they just use it behind the scenes for, for easy onboarding, etc., etc. So I think we will see more of that stuff. Uh, the successful people won't talk too much about, about blockchain because no one knows how, how IP actually works or why the URL is formatted in that way and what actually happens behind mm -hmm. the scenes. I think that's similar with blockchain, digital assets, uh, more general. I think we're in a very good position in Germany with all the regulation in, in, in place. And even after the FTX uh, fallout, I think uh, people will opt for regulated entities they tr who they actually trust their assets. And I think there will be a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff happening in the, in the German market, especially. Mm -hmm. So I'm... I'm still quite confident, even if I know uh, that it's still a way to go. Yeah. And for you personally? For me personally, let's let's see. I don't I don't know. Uh, I might be driving stuff more globally in the future um, because uh, we we see this blockchain thing relevant all over the place, not just in Germany. So that that might be one direction for me personally, uh, being. Yeah, more more traveling around and uh, talking about the stuff not only in Germany but but maybe globally. Mm -hmm. So where and how can the people reach out to you? Oh, I'm very uh, active on on different social media channels. Mm. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on on, on, on Twitter. Uh, I've got my my crypto blog on Medium. S. Grasman is usually my my handle everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Thanks a lot for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>